welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You are listening to Punches and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter and untapped at Process Potables, and on Instagram at Podcast Potables Network. Check out our other shows, namely Post Game Potables, our new pod coming to you immediately after every Eagles games, Power Bombs and Potables, our weekly professional wrestling podcast, and the flagship show, Process Potables. For news, blog posts, infos on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Punches and Potables is on tap. Cheers, everybody. Welcome back, everyone, to Punches and Potables. I am your host, Paul Ryan. Unfortunately, our regular co-host, Rob Huber, couldn't be here today, so I'm here today with my brother, Sean Hardy. How you doing today, kid? Good. How about you? <sighs> Stuck with you. Could be better. You're hilarious. Well, we've been gone for two weeks, and some pretty good fights have happened, so we're going to jump right into it. Two weeks ago, two Saturdays ago, there was the Holly Holm... Aldana event, and there was three fights that were really worth talking about, and we're going to start off right away with one of your favorites, Carlos Condit. Yeah, Carlos Condit's been a dominant fighter in the welterweight for division for absolutely, oh man, for years, for absolute long time, and uh, yeah, he finally got back on the win streak. Yeah, he definitely needed that win, but Court McGee was no joke, and that was a very good fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought Connor was going to put him away. I think it was in the second round when he knocked him down, shattered the nose. Or no, it was the end of the first round when he shattered his nose, and Court actually broke his own nose, reset it during the fight just to show you how tough he is. Oh, you can't take that away from Court. But Court, for the most part, was winning the first round until Condit dropped him, but then it was all Condit from that point on. Yeah, I thought Condit definitely won at least two and three. One was a little bit questionable, but the knockdown definitely secured it, so I can see why the judges gave him three rounds to zero. Yeah, I don't know, though, if that one punch at the end was enough to steal the round, but that's why I'm not a judge. Yeah, well, when there's also a little bit of back-and-forth action and someone finally gets knocked down, it's an easy way to steal a round at the end. This is true, but now we've got to figure out, like, what's next for Condit? Does he go for somebody ranked, or is he in the same category as someone like Anthony Pettis and Cowboy at this point in their career where he should be looking for fun fights and money fights unless he thinks he can go on one more run? I mean, even if you look at the back end of the top 15 in the welterweight division, it's Robbie Lawler, which he deserves that rematch after getting robbed of the split decision for the belt. Anthony Pettis or Nate Diaz in which Nate Diaz can avenge his loss, well, his brother's loss. Yeah, I definitely think Nate Diaz versus Condit would be a nice fight and a fun fight, especially since if Condit wins, he would definitely be able to go around and brag that he beat both the Diaz. Yeah, it's something not a lot of people, if anyone, has actually accomplished, but I would love to see him fight Anthony Pettis. You know those two ain't going to try and take each other down. It's just going to be a crazy, ridiculous striking battle. Yeah, but I think... this point where he is just coming off his first win in a while, I think a good fight for him would probably be, if they can make it a five-round, would be a fun fight against Nico Price. We know Nico Price is going to stand and bang. He just did it with Cowboy. I think Condit hits a little bit harder, so some of them clean strikes Cowboy landed on Nico Price. I don't know if he's going to be able to just walk through him like he did. Well, it's definitely a fight I think Nico would consider with Carlos's resume and reputation. Yeah, and at this point, if you actually look at Carlos's losses outside of the one for Lawler, which was a split decision. His other losses were three out of the four came from uh, submissions. So if you find him a striker, anything can happen with him. It's going to be exciting. Definitely. And I think at this point, Court McGee is probably in the same spot as like a Mike Perry, where he's considered more of a gatekeeper to the top 15. Yeah. Yeah. Either a gatekeeper or someone who's young and upcoming type deal who who wants to get a real taste of the UFC. Court McGee is probably a guy you can go to. Yeah, that was a fun fight. But moving on to the other, well, starting to get into the bigger names at this point in their career. 
Um, Juliana Pena versus Jermaine Durandame. And that was a close fight. Jermaine won the first round because she stuffed all of her takedowns and was able to keep her at range with the striking. I thought Juliana Pena won the second round because she was able to take her down and start landing her striking and was winning the third round until she made the mistake when going for a uh, takedown and left her head out there too long and Jermaine synced in that uh, guillotine and put her away. Yeah, that can come from ring rust, though. Juliana's been out for, what, almost two years now with, between an injury and having a baby, so she should come back from that, and she should be okay. Maybe stepping up to fight a girl who just literally lost her title. What? No, not her title, but Durandamit. She lost the title fight, what, a couple months ago, maybe a year ago now? So maybe that was a little bit too high of a step for Juliana right away coming back after two years. Yeah, definitely. But she shows she's still right up there with the top girls. So I don't think that she should take a step back. She should still be looking forward with the girls in the division and try to take a higher rank contender with the two that are there that I can see right now in Aspen Ladd or Raquel Pennington. I think Raquel Pennington would be the way to go. Um, I think Juliana is basically just a cleaner, more talented version of Raquel Pennington, to be honest with you. So I think she would actually benefit in fighting her. I think it's a step up in, what, maybe two rankings? I believe Raquel's, yeah, so Raquel's the four, Juliana's the six. So that actually would be a nice step forward for her, jumping into the top five. Yeah, that's true. We'll get to Jermaine and what's next for her in a second because we got to talk about the main event of that night which was Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana. Yeah, I think Holly uh, put on a show. She definitely showed she's not just a kickboxer or a boxer. She actually used some wrestling and some takedowns in that fight to uh, control Aldana. And uh, I think Holly actually almost put herself right back in Amanda Nunez's way. She's right back up there in the conversation, and at no point did Aldana seem in that fight. Holly dominated from start to finish. Like, good for Aldana for making it all the rounds, but Holly definitely showed that she's not ready to be one of those top contenders or be in the conversation with the big girls. Yeah, looking at the top five, too, uh, it looks like Amanda's pretty much already cleared them out outside of Aspen Ladd, and I don't think Aspen Ladd's really ready for a title shot. Oh, definitely not. Um, But now that we spoke about it, I think the fight to make would be the rematch versus Holly and Jermaine, and Holly definitely deserves that rematch. Yeah, I thought Holly won the first time, and she got robbed, especially when Jermaine had multiple hits after the uh, bell that should have probably came to point deductions. So I think Holly could easily take that fight. Yeah, she was robbed, and like you said, the point deductions should have came. She got hit after the bell, what, three rounds? At least two, for sure. (sighs) Not good, not good, and... Once Jermaine won the belt, she ran away from Cyborg. So, like I said in the last podcast, that I lost a lot of respect for her due to that. Yeah, and you know what? I don't blame anyone for running away from Cyborg, but I think what Amanda Nunes did is showed that Cyborg's not invincible. And Jermaine, I mean, she's knocked out a man in Muay Thai. What are you running for? Made no sense. But moving on, uh, last weekend, we ran into the... Sandahagen Hagen, Marlon Marais event, which, again, ha- didn't have a lot of star power, but like I talked about, you have to watch these cards because people show up to fight and make a name for themselves because if you didn't see the knockout of Joaquin Buckley over Impa Kasagni, you really missed out and needed to look that up because that is easily in contention for knockout of the year. I'm not sure you could have really missed it. Every Instagram, Facebook, ESPN, everyone played that. That might go down as one of the best knockouts of all time. I didn't even know what to say. I just yelled when I saw that knockout. When when Consagni caught Buckley's kick and he did that jump and spinning kick and caught him dead center of the face and put him to sleep, what else are you going to say? Yeah, There's only one other guy who might attempt something like that, and it's the same guy who jumped off the cage and kicked someone in the face, and that's Pettis. So to see it out of a guy on an undercard on a not a very big star-powered card, it definitely bring, should bring more casual people in to watch. Definitely. So moving on to the big fights of that night, you had Big Ben Rothwell versus Marcin Tiberian. And talk about a difference between beginning to end, because Big Ben came out strong 
and he threw almost 100 punches in the first round, but it seemed to gas him out, and then Marcin took over rounds two and three. Well, Big Ben has a uh, very weird Frankenstein, keep-your-hands-out style that I'm amazed he hasn't been absolutely destroyed for yet, and he just throws volume running forward. I don't know how it works for him, but he seems to get a couple knockouts with it, so I, I don't really know, but this guy, I'm going to butcher his name, but Tybura really seemed to get comfortable in the second and third and kind of managed to avoid most of the big shots coming from Ben and just landed some big shots of his own. Yeah, Ben Ben at this point's a gatekeeper. He's another guy now at this point in his career. If you want to get into the top 15, you got to go through big Ben Rothwell. So if you're somebody like Greg Hardy who's trying to make a real name for himself in MMA, that's a guy you're trying to call out. But his strategy made no sense. For big guys like that, you can't throw almost 100 punches in the first round and expect to be able to finish strong unless your name is Cain Velasquez. I guess he was trying to win with volume. And, I mean, at the heavyweight division, a jab can kill you. So, I guess if you're throwing 100 punches, one of them might knock you out. It obviously didn't work. Looking at the rankings now, I don't even think Big Ben is in them. So, I guess he was the 15 possibly going into it. And it looks like Tybura is now the 15. So, he definitely is your gatekeeper or, if not, your fight the guy you got to fight to be one fight away from it. Yeah, so Tiberian, I think a n- good fight for him next would probably be the loser of the Walt Harris-Alexander Volkov fight. I think you're actually stepping him up a little too high in competition there. He's just got to the 15. you got a couple guys in front of him, maybe uh, Blagov Ivanov. I'm going to oh, butcher that, the 14, <laughs> or maybe even... Blagoy Ivanov. You know, Olenek might be a good shot for him, which is the 11. It might be his... Uh, his way to a top, potential top five or top ten fight. Well, Blagoy's insane. Nobody wants to fight that guy. He got stabbed in a bar fight, and he just kept coming. He's fighting in the UFC now with that scar from the knife. Like, you don't want to fight that guy. Yeah, he's almost got 70 professional fights, too, so he's a uh, seasoned vet. Oh, definitely. Um, the next big fight on that card, the featherweight fight, uh, was Edson Barbosa, and I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Marquan Amirkani. Um, it was definitely a striker versus a grappler. Now, both of these guys are very talented all around, but it's clear which one was more dominant in their space and where they wanted to be. But once Edson figured out he could stuff Marquani's takedowns, or when he was get taken down, get right back up, it was all over. Yeah, yeah, and it seemed like Edson had uh, the clear advantage in significant strikes. And he was able to really kind of keep his own distance, keep it at his pace, and do pretty much whatever he wanted to to him. So I guess once he took away the takedowns, it really became Edson Barbosa's fight. Yeah, and he needed this win coming off of two split decision losses that I thought he won against Paul Felder and Dan Ige. I'm pretty surprised uh, that, honestly, Barbosa's even able to make the weight. He was such a big 55er, and he, he's always got that muscular physique. So the fact that he can even cut down... I'm going to assume he's going to go on a run soon that should potentially get him into title talks. Well, I know he was originally trying to get that fight with Jeremy Stevens, but Stevens is against the number, I want to say, seven, uh, Arnold Allen. Jeremy St- uh the nine. The nine? Yeah, Arnold Allen is the nine. All right, so that's who I think Edson should be looking at next, the winner of the Jeremy Stevens versus Arnold Allen fight. And I hope it's Stevens because those two will stand and bang, and that fight should be fireworks. Well, I'd like to see Barbosa probably jump up, maybe fight uh, Shane Borgos or Danny Ng because uh, right now Barbosa's sitting at the 14. Danny Ng's sitting at the 10. That could be his, uh, his gate in there. Well, that's the problem. He lost a split decision to Danny Ng in his first fight at featherweight. Uh, rematches happen for a reason. Yeah, but I don't think they'll do it this early. That's why I was thinking the winner of Stevens versus Arnold since they're pretty much right above him. Or even a Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall's directly above him. Ryan Hall's been a uh, pretty consistent guy in there for a little while. So Barbosa's got a pretty nice ladder to climb, especially in the talented stack division that it is. So he might have to take it almost. I know it is, it's kind of cliche to say it, but one fight at a time. But he's probably going to have to take it one to two steps on that ladder at a time. Yeah, but he's definitely talented enough to go on that run and climb the ladder and get his way in a title talks, if not the title shot. Yeah, he's remained top five in the lightweight division, which personally I think that's the most stacked division in all of MMA. And he was always relevant there, so I can't imagine 
not saying 45 is not talented, but that he can't drop down and definitely make some noise. Definitely. The next fight was the main event, which surprised me a little bit by how it ended. Not who won, but how he won in Sandhagen versus Marlon Marais. I thought Marais was actually going to kind of come in and wrestle him and, and handle him a little bit better than he did. Um, I mean, Marais showed he could wrestle a little bit. He's he's bigger. He's a little bit stronger. I know uh, Sandhagen has the height advantage, but I thought Marais was actually going to win this fight. Not easily, but I thought he was going to handle him. Well, Marais definitely is the harder hitter, but Sandhagen just had that reach that he couldn't seem to figure out. And like you said, with the wrestling, he his original camp is a strong wrestling camp. When you have guys like Frankie Edgar and Eddie Alvarez, you need to know how to wrestle. Yeah, definitely. And to see that he has he had a takedown, but he was he really only wasn't able to control him. I think it was for less than ten seconds. So, I mean, more more power to Candy or Candy Corey Sandhagen to be able to get up and neutralize those kind of things. Yeah, he was able to stay on the outside and do whatever he wanted and then finish the fight with a spinning heel kick after calling out that he had a broken orbital. Yeah, it's definitely uh, impressive, especially coming from him, who I don't really recall seeing him being an an overly impressive striker. So to see a spinning heel kick to knock someone out, it's uh, definitely a noisemaker. Probably lined him up for the next title shot behind Sterling. Yeah, Sterling... Versus Jan has just been booked for the December card to main event to fill in for the Usman-Burns fight that got moved to January. So now that that fight is set, Sandhagen should be next in line. And as for Marais, depending on what they do with Cody Garnbrand, I think he should wait, wait around and fight Cody when Cody comes back unless Cody still plans to challenge for the 125 belt. I'm going to assume Cody's going to go down. Um, I don't see why not. I believe he was the one who got hurt and had to pull out, so... Yeah, he had a torn bicep. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to be able to fight with that. So, I'm going to assume he would go down because he didn't lose that fight due to any other reason other than injury, so I'm going to assume he's going to jump the line in flyweight because there's really no big name down there that's going to get that division going. Well, they did book somebody to take a spot in Alex Perez against Davidson Figueredo. So they do have still have that title fight, but I'm sure once Cody comes back, they'll let him slide right in. But speaking of the Bantamweight division which is now stacked from top to bottom with talent. There is a guy who's sitting at number five with nowhere to go because everybody is either already booked or just fought, and that's Frankie Edgar. So now we got to see what's next for Frankie. Uh, yeah, going forward, you got Marlon Morice was his former training partner, so that would definitely make for a nice story going into it. Um, I don't know if they do it. I don't know the kind of respect that they have for each other, but it would definitely make for a story. Marais is the three. Frankie's sitting at the five. It could definitely boost Frankie into title talks almost immediately. I know a lot of people are calling for him to take a Legends fight, like maybe rematch Aldo or fight Dominic Cruz, but where Frankie's sitting, that fight makes no sense for him. And I know Pedro Munoz is trying to call a rematch, saying he believed he won that fight. But again, if you're Frankie, that's not a fight you take. So looking at the landscape and looking at who's coming back in January, I think the fight to make for Frankie, at least in my opinion, is TJ Dillashaw. I know Dillashaw says he expects a title shot the minute he comes back, but you lost your last fight when you dropped down to 25 and then you got popped for uh, EPO and got a two-year suspension. So granted, you were the champion and everything was good, but... You've been out for two years, and you got popped for roids, and your last fight was a loss. So you're going to have to at least fight somebody to get yourself back in there. And a future Hall of Famer in Frankie, who's ranked in the top five, would be a way to get yourself back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking at Frankie now, and I'm looking at the rankings. Uh, Frankie doesn't necessarily have to go forward. I know everything's a risk that way, you know, if you potentially fight back. But you got some guys that are challenging Maybe a Sun Sal. It's a pretty big name in that division where it could definitely keep him locked in where he's at. Jimmy Rivera is sitting at the eight. That could definitely be interesting. I wouldn't want to see him take on Jose Aldo for a third time because, I mean, Jose's beaten him twice. It doesn't benefit Frankie in any sort of way to try and fight Jose. And honestly, I think he would just run through Cruz at this point in Cruz's career. Maybe six, seven years ago, a healthy Dominic Cruz against a healthy Frankie Edgar would be a great fight to watch. Now? No, I'm not so sure. Well, we got to see what Cruz does because his last fight, granted he lost to the champion, but he hasn't fought in two or three years due to injury. So we got to see what he gets going for him going forward and who he's going to fight. 
I know Jimmy Rivera called him out, but the fight that everyone seems to want is him versus Jose Aldo. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting. Your former longtime 135-pound uh, title holder and your former 145-pound title holder going at it at 35 it would definitely be a, uh interesting fight. It's kind of like a Floyd Mayweather-Pacquiao, too little, too late, but people will still tune in. Yeah, this fight, if it was going to happen, should have happened uh, six, seven years ago when they were both really in their prime. But I would, I would definitely still tune in. I know Dominic, before he got hurt, was begging for the winner of McGregor versus Aldo, but we all know how that went. McGregor picks who McGregor wants, and I don't think he would ever have picked Dominic Cruz, to be honest with you. No, I don't think he wanted to deal with that wrestling, along with his pace, because Connor's gas tank, at least back then, it's a little bit better now, but back then it was absolute crap. I don't know, though, because the way that Garbrandt was able to get in to Cruz's head and have him completely off his game, Connor's way worse. Connor might have had him broken before they even got into the octagon. And that's coming from a certifiable Connor McGregor hater. You're breaking Rob's heart on that one. Definitely breaking Rob's heart, but I'm right there with you. Screw Connor. Look, I'm not a big fan of Connor McGregor's antics and everything else, and I'll be the first to admit he's got some of the best boxing in MMA. I just think he's an absolute clown, and the UFC created a toddler that they can't do anything with anymore. Well, speaking of Connor, that leads us into our next point. Connor and Poirier, the drama just keeps on going. Yeah, it's, Connor wants it his way. He wants Poirier because he knows Poirier is his direct line to the title, and it's a big name and this and that, but he wants it Connor's way, and it sounds like Uncle Dana is, is finally putting his foot down and saying, no, no, Connor, you're going to do it on my terms. Yeah, Connor came out with demands. Now, I will give him credit. He said if the fight happens, he will donate 500 k to Dustin's uh, charity organization. Which, if he does that, all the credit in the world won't have any. I will give him his props, and I will give him a respect for that. But outside of that, not so much. His demands—he wants to be the main event, which they probably will give him over the title fights, even though they don't like to. And he's trying to force them to do it this year. But Dana came out and said, "No, the fight offer was for the event in January, and you will co-headline with Gilbert Burns and Kamara Usman." Yeah, and you know what? Dustin doesn't seem to be making it easy either. I was just watching an interview with him with Ariel Hawani, and uh, he's he's wanting more money. He's demanding higher wages because of his recent success. So it looks like this is going to be difficult to negotiate on either side. Well, I think the fight with Connor on Dustin's part won't be that hard to negotiate because he knows it's big money. Anytime you fight Connor, it's big money. So that's an easy one for him, and it's a fight for... Dustin, because he knows if he wins, he's going to get that Nate Diaz treatment where he's going to get that pull because he now has that win over Connor, and now he's right back in the title talks. Yeah, and that Nate Diaz push that he gets now really only comes from beating Connor McGregor arguably twice um, because before that, Nate Diaz was a one-time title challenger, which he lost horribly. If I remember, he lost five rounds clear. Benson Henderson picked him apart. It wasn't even close. So, you know, his puff out his chest looking like a kangaroo thing that he does all the time really just became impressive over the last two, three years since he beat up Connor. Uh, the Diaz brothers, always entertaining, but not as good as everybody thinks they are. But they will always be draws. But I think this is a way that because they're not caving into Connor, it's Connor's way out. Because I said to Rob. That Connor doesn't really want this fight, and I won't believe the fight happens until Connor shows up in that octagon. The only way this fight happens is if it's on Connor's terms. And Dana's going to fold, because Dana always folds when it comes to Connor McGregor. So it's probably going to happen, I would say, December. Probably your Christmas card, that New Year's card, roughly right around there. I think that's when it's going to end up getting signed. You see, with the Algermain Sterling Peter Yan added to that fight, along with Amanda Nunes, Megan Anderson, I don't think that's the card to do it. If they are going to do it, I think it would be the November card, because even though you have two title fights, there's not a lot of star power in Davidson Figueredo versus Alex Perez and Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Mai, even though Valentina Shevchenko is one of the best fighters in the world, male or female, she's not the same draw. So if you want to bring attention to these guys, and these weight classes, the easiest way to do it is to headline Dustin and Connor. And that gives them about six and a half, seven weeks training camp. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think whatever card you put Dustin and Connor on, they're going to steal the show. Connor's going to steal the show. 
to be honest with you. And I feel like that's sometimes why people, they want to fight him, but they realize how big of a headache it is to fight him because now you have more media. You have more obligations you have to go to. So that could also hinder the contract negotiations, I think, with Poirier. I do think Poirier wants to fight because he knows it's a big fight, big money. But there's some negotiations that seem to have to go on there to get them both on board. Yeah, and Con- and not Connor. Dustin's taking some heat from Tony Ferguson because he jumped right off that Tony Ferguson fight because they weren't going to give him the money he wanted to fight Connor. But the reason he didn't want that fight was his payday, but he knows he's going to get that payday and that attention with Connor. Yeah, and I don't blame Tony. That's a big fight for them. They both knew this this was their road back to the title. They both knew the winner of that was almost guaranteed your next shot. So I don't blame Tony. You took money out of Tony's pocket for a potential bigger payday. So I don't blame Tony for attacking him the way that he did. Oh, no, neither do I. But at the same breath, Tony at this point should understand and understand the game, that this is your, what you're all playing. And if Dustin's going to get paid and potentially bring in more fans and more attention on his name that will benefit him going forward, why wouldn't he take it? Yeah, I don't blame him. I don't blame Dustin for trying to get more money. I mean, who would? It's the whole point of the game. You're going out there and getting punched in the face for a living. You want to make as much money as you can off it. But, you know, now Tony, who even campaigned to get Dustin a fight, is now pretty much just left in no man's land. It it sounds like they're trying. they tried to book him and Chandler, but Tony didn't want him because he's coming fresh from Bellator. So Tony's still out there looking for a big name. Dustin's still not signed. Connor's not signed, even though those two have said on Twitter, we're going to do some, what, charity sparring match? Yeah, that's um, why they threw that contract at him to take that off the table for them. But for Tony, if he's looking for the attention right now, Chandler is the one because he has all that attention because of how they brought him in. So that could potentially get him the hype and the payday he's looking for. But he's looking for a guy in the top five, top 10, the guy who's going to give him the most attention right now or the best fight and probably the best payday would probably be Dan Hooker. Yeah, and they can probably headline, I would say, anything outside of a pay-per-view. So, I mean, you can get your headline and money. You can get your, the only thing you're going to miss is your pay-per-view points or even throw them on a pay-per-view. They could definitely co-headline an event. So, if I'm Tony, I'm looking for Dan Hooker or even a... Uh, if you want to drop yourself down a little bit just to keep your name relevant, you got Charles Oliveira that's out there too floating around. He's looking for big names. I think Charles was booked. I forget who he's booked against, but I thought he was booked somewhere. That might have dropped out. So the other name I was looking at is Paul Felder. Uh, he might have been. I'm not seeing it on here that he is. But Paul Felder's been uh, what, contemplating retirement, that he wants to come back. So he's, he's, he's a decent name. He's a Philly boy, so he's got my support definitely going that way. But he's definitely a big enough name to draw, especially people know who he is now just from his commentating. Well, he said he'd come back for a fight with Tony, Dan, Gaethje, or Dustin. So I think one of those guys, or even Michael Chandler, would be enough to bring him back in. Yeah, uh, definitely. And actually, I'm surprised in reality that uh, Chandler isn't campaigning for a big-name fight, much like uh, looking at the rankings here. I think Chandler can go up against someone like Donald Cerrone. Donald's floating around the number 15. That's Chandler's great way to come in. It's a back end of the 15 fight. If he wins that, it'll boost him for sure, especially beating a legend like Connor, and then that'll jump him right up into the mix with guys like Tony and Dustin, and it'll get there enough in their attention to want to fight him. Well, you know, Cowboy won't say no. Cowboy's never turned down a fight at any weight class. He's always game, which is why people love him. Yeah, the guy's a legend. I'll be honest, I'm surprised he's still in the UFC. He dropped what, five in a row, close to. Four losses in a row. A lot of them were close. I know you're a Pettis fan, but even Pettis said he thought Cerrone won that fight. Nico Price ended in a draw. So there's a lot of ways that could go. He was one round to one against Tony until the doctor stopped it. So there's a lot of weird circumstances with the losses, but he is still on a bit of a uh, streak. Yeah, but that second round, Tony pretty much killed him. Uh, that, that was not going to finish. or I'm sorry, Cowboy was not going to finish the way that that fight was going. The big thing for Cowboy at this point is he needs to take a break. With how many wars he's been in and his age, he can't fight five times a year like he's been. He just can't. And he needs to be smarter about his fights. And the last time he took a break, he did go on a bit of a tear by beating guys like Mike Perry, Ally Quinn, and Alexander Hernandez. Yeah, I agree. And looking at the top... 
15 where he's floating. He is the 15 looking at the five in front of him. I don't think there's not a person on here that he can't steam. Like, normal cowboy doesn't come through and steamroll. Uh, he might struggle a little bit with Kevin Lee, but outside of that, there's no reason Cowboy can't come back, rebuild himself back up, and potentially even get himself back in the mix. The only one who I think might give him a problem other than Kevin Lee might be Islam Makachev. And he's calling out Tony, but he's not even on Tony's radar because of his ranking. But he's another one who's undefeated and trains and comes out of Khabib's camp, so you know he's a tough guy. Definitely, and the one guy actually, I mean, in reality, I know Connor's looking for Dustin, but I really think the better fight would be him and Tony, just because the trash talk you're going to get out of it. Oh, that would definitely be entertaining. And Tony's the three, Connor's the five. I mean, it makes sense. They're going to sit there, they're going to hold their spot, and winner's guaranteed. But Connor's going to call his shots, and Connor's going to take the fight that he thinks is better for him, and I think he feels he matches up against Dustin better, especially since he already beat Dustin. Granted, it was six years ago, and the Dustin now is not the same Dustin then, but in Connor's mind, you have to go in with confidence over a guy you knocked out in the first round. Yeah, but with Dustin watching the fight with him and Dan Hooker, he took a lot of shots from Dan Hooker. He took a lot of abuse from Dan Hooker. I know he won the fight, but he took some big shots, and I think if Connor actually is able to land some of the big shots that Hooker was able to, yeah, Dustin's night's going to end it quick. Depends because Gaethje landed some of those big shots. We've all seen what Gaethje can do, and Dustin finished Gaethje, which everybody looking at him now is definitely an accomplishment. Yeah, that was kind of the Gaethje of old, though, because it looks like Gaethje's completely turned his stuff around. Um, I know he hits hard, but maybe he didn't catch him as clean as, as some of the other, but Dan Hooker really did rock him, and we know that Justin hits harder than him, and we, we've seen Connor knock people out with a clean left hook. Uh, you know, referencing Eddie Alvarez and a couple others. Cowboy himself got knocked out by Justin, or I'm sorry, Connor recently. So I think he actually thinks he matches up better with Dustin. He got knocked out by Justin too, you can say it. But yeah, I think he feels more confident against Dustin than he does against Tony because I feel Tony is a terrible matchup for him. I feel Tony and Khabib are terrible matchups for Connor, but Connor is a terrible matchup for Gaethje. Yeah, and... Dustin won't even try and take him down and submit him. You know Dustin's going to stand there and box with you. So Connor obviously likes to avoid wrestlers for obvious reasons because his wrestling has been shown to be absolutely terrible. The thing is, Dustin can, so all he has to do is threaten it and put it in Connor's head, which will help his striking. Can and will. When was the last time you really seen Dustin wrestle outside of takedown defense? Yeah, it's been a little while, but I think the last person he wrestled was Pettis. For obvious reasons because you really don't want to stand and bang with him. But Pettis is also going to flash much different things at you than Connor will. Connor's just kind of a phenomenal boxer with decent head movement going forward, but you're not going to get kicked. You're not going to get grabbed. Connor's coming at you with his hands. Yeah, but if he would use his wrestling against Pettis, I don't see why he would use it against Connor, at least to open up things with his striking. Some people fall in love with their hands. He was knocking people out. He went in there. He outboxed, you know, arguably the best boxer in the UFC and Max Holloway. So you fall in love with your hands. Sometimes the other game stuff goes out the window. I guess we'll have to wait and see if the fight actually happens, which, again, I won't believe until they're both in the octagon. But moving on to the next thing, there is a fight this weekend. Again, the event top to bottom, not a lot of star power, but my Lord is the main event, a fight of the year contender. But we'll get to them in a second because there are some good fighters and some veterans like I know you like him with James Krause. Yeah, I like James Krause a lot uh, when he was on the Ultimate Fighter a couple seasons ago. Um, he was Which was weird because he was already in the UFC and he went back to the Ultimate Fighter to chase another contract. So good on him to put himself back through that. And he's a veteran and he never puts on a boring fight. So that's definitely a name to watch. But the second biggest fight on the card, which is the co-main event, is Jessica Andrade moving up to flyweight to fight the number one contender in Caitlin Chukagian. Yeah, and if Jessica's looking for another title shot, um, I mean, personally, I thought in her last fight, I did actually think she beat Thug Rose, and I think if she wins that fight, she stays down there. She's not even running up to 25, but the weight cut had to be brutal on her. She's massive for that weight class. Yeah, and that's the second weight she fought in because when she first made the cut down to 15, they didn't have the 25, so she dropped down from 135 pounds 
straight down to 115, so that did have to take a toll on her. And being back up 10 pounds, it's going to help with her speed, her endurance, everything. She's going to have much more energy. She's going to come out a little bit, I would assume, cleaner. You know she's got strong wrestling, so she's definitely going to be uh, more interesting and more exciting to watch at 25. This is definitely a risky fight for Chukagian, and not one I'm sure if I was her manager I would have jumped at because she doesn't have a lot to gain and a lot to lose, and Jessica Andrade has nothing Nothing to lose and everything to gain because if she beats Chukagian, she's definitely next for the title because it shows in the flyweight division. It only takes one fight because look what Jennifer Maya just did with beating uh, JoJo Calderwood. She won that fight with JoJo Calderwood and then leapfrogged everybody for the title. Yeah, and you know what, though? Looking at the, uh, the tail of the tape here, Caitlin Chukagian actually has massive size on Andrade. Um, she's got eight inches of height, uh, six inches of reach, so... Maybe she's confident in her size going into it because um, Caitlin also likes to wrestle, so maybe she thinks she can handle it going forward and keep her on the outside. So maybe she's actually looking at this as a safe fight to potentially get her right back in the line. She might be, but that would definitely be a mistake if you're going to overlook Andrade like that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we just got breaking news here that apparently Connor has verbally and Dustin have verbally agreed for the January 23rd fight, so maybe it is going forward. Hey, I all hope it is, but again, I won't believe it until they are in the cage. Yeah, definitely. Well, it sounds like uh, Uncle Dana put his foot down and Connor said, all right, I guess I got to do what you want this time around, Dad. Well, we'll see if they give them the top spot or if they keep it with Usman and Burns, but I don't see how you don't put Connor in the top spot, especially since they've done it before for him. Yeah, definitely. But swinging back to Caitlin, um, I mean, she's looking to get back in there against Shevchenko. Andrade is looking to keep herself relevant and get herself back to a title shot. Unfortunately for both, if I think either one of them wins and goes back up against Shevchenko, I don't see either one of them having a prayer. That woman's just an animal. No, definitely not. Valentina Shevchenko is one of the top three women fighters in the world, right along with Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg. Actually, I'd love to see Shevchenko against Nunes 3, because I think Shevchenko actually clearly won the second fight. Oh, in my opinion, they're one and one, but our opinions aren't the judges. But moving on to the main event, which is definitely a fight of the year contender. And when I make my pick, I'm not going to lie to you, I am going to be 100% biased because I love this guy. So I'll let you go first. But if you don't know, it is Brian Ortega. It is his first fight back in almost two years since he lost to Max Holloway, and he's fighting Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie. Yeah, and those two have some definite bad blood in there. Apparently, Brian smacked his manager in the face or something along them lines. So there's bad blood going into this fight. Um, it was his translator when he went to the bathroom. Oh, okay. Whatever it was. Either way, I mean, pretty classy move by uh, Brian to smack a translator in the stands while his fighter is gone. But uh, anyway, I, I would definitely think Brian is, is most likely going to win. I just think he has statistically, well, his, his game, overall game is better than and Jong's, to be honest. I think his submissions are obviously top-notch. He's shown power by being able to knock out Frankie. I think it's just, I think Brian's going to be too much for the Korean zombie. Here comes the bias. I will completely disagree because we've seen the zombie take bombs and shots, and it takes a lot to finish him, and the last time he was finished was a weird elbow that nobody other than Yair Rodriguez could ever pull off. I definitely think if Brian Ortega wants to win this fight, he needs to get it to the ground, and he needs to get a hold of his neck to put the zombie out. But we've seen how hard that is. And ever since Zombie has come over to America, his game has become so much better, and his striking has become so much cleaner. So Ortega has to get in there, and he has to make it dirty, because he doesn't pretty much dirty box and get in the clinch, because he doesn't want to brawl with him out in the open. But my biggest thing is there's definitely going to be some ring rust. He hasn't fought in almost two years, and in his last fight he got demolished by Max Holloway. Yeah, if if Korean Zombie's going to finish him, it's going to be in the first round when Ortega's trying to figure out how to shake off his ring rust. But on the other side, if if Ortega can get him up against that cage and get it to the ground, I don't think I, – I just don't think the Zombie's going to have the strength, not the ability – with the strength to hold him off, because both their jujitsu's are top class. But Ortega just seems 
physically bigger when he gets into that octa- octagon than the zombie does. They both have impressive wins. They've both been around, but they both have one thing that most people don't, and that's a finish over Frankie Edgar, which you like to call the holy uppercut by Ortega. And Zombie just put him away with a clean right to the jaw. Yeah, that was one of the cleanest uppercuts you ever seen. I've ever seen. Um, and God blessed it. So that's why it was called the holy uppercut for me. Um, but Ortega, I just... I can't see him losing. I think he's going to win this fight. And it's really weird because you don't often see Ortega get amped up for a fight. He's usually pretty mild and cool-mannered. But uh, for this one, he seems to have a little bit more emotion and animosity going into it. That might also work against him. You never know. Zombie, he, Zombie's going in there and going to do what Zombie does. He's going to come th- forward and throw bombs. Yeah, we've also seen that work against him. I mean... He had a Yair Rodriguez absolutely dismantled up until 30 seconds when he did, or less than 30. I think it was like nine seconds left in the fight when he kept coming forward and it ended up costing him the fight. So it could also cost him. Yeah, but I don't see Ortega throwing that sweet elbow the way Yair did. I don't see anyone throwing that elbow. That was a fluke. But the biggest thing for this fight is not only is it fight between bad blood there's actually a lot on the line for this fight because I feel whoever wins this fight gets the next title shot against Alexander Volkanovsky yeah definitely um this is definitely a title eliminator for sure especially with Volkanovsky beating Max Holloway twice um I know there's big talk of him having to run the trilogy but Volkanovsky's really not interested the only other name that may hop up in there is if Cejudo really does come out of retirement and they do give him a shot at being quadruple C yeah I don't see that happening I think they'd have to have Sehudo come in and win a fight first, at least one, and then jump up because you can't walk, keep walking away and then keep giving you everything unless you're on that legend status like a George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, or John Jones. Is he not on the legend status, though? He's beaten the 125 best fighter of all time. He's beaten what people were assuming was the best 135-pounder of all time between Cruz and Dillashaw. Uh, I mean... At this point, he's been a dual champ. There's only, what, one other person who's held two belts at the same time? Um, no, Connor, DC, and Amanda Nunes. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot. I didn't count Connor because he didn't defend his. But I guess you can also say that about Cejudo because he relinquished his right away as well down at the 25. But he, he's in an elite list of things that not a lot of guys have done. He is, but I don't think he did it long enough to have that legend status. But he had a name, and that's all that matters in the UFC is you have a name. People watch, you know, the King of Cringe, and it's it might be enough to sell him, especially because Volkanovski, at least, I don't think he's a big crowd pleaser to you. I mean, his biggest achievement was really beating Max Holloway the first time and losing to him and getting a weird decision the second. Yeah, what also helped Volkanovski's build-up was when he beat Chad Mendes because we know how good he is and how long he's been at the top of that division. Yeah, he caught Chad on the back end. I mean, Chad came back after his suspension and really was never the same so his best decision was obviously to retire and it was it Volkanovski who retired him yes yeah so definitely uh but if you're a hardcore fan or just a casual the main event this weekend is a must see oh for sure with their bad blood going into it with him slapping a translator I'm sure there's some revenge coming back for that so this one's definitely, it's a, it's a title eliminator. So you got to figure the next time you see one of these guys, it's going to be on pay-per-view. So it's definitely enough that, that should bring you in to watch. All right, the next thing we're going to talk about is Dana White coming up and saying the fight to make or the fight that makes sense is Israel Adesanya versus John Jones. Yeah, Adesanya's cleared out the top ten, whether it's been as a title challenger or the title holder he's pretty much cleared everyone out of his path on his way up and John Jones has hasn't lost outside of being DQ'd you know six seven well I guess seven eight years ago now it's a long time ago so John Jones has the right to pretty much call whatever fight he wants and Adesanya's cleared out the division so logically speaking yeah it probably is the next fight to make well there's a couple guys that are still down there for Adesanya if Cannoneer wins uh, he hasn't fought Cannoneer, so that could be a good fight. You have Darren Till versus Jack Hermanson, so you still have some options. And I just don't think as much hype as he has, he hasn't defended the belt or, again, done it long enough 
to be able to call that shot against John. Now, if John wants it, give John what he wants. But I don't think Izzy is ready for John at all. Yeah, but the way the UFC's been going is you don't have to hold it long. Now you just got to be a popular champion, and they'll let you go up and down all you want. So Hudo had zero defenses and jumped right up to fight for 35. But are they really ready to feed him? Well, hold on. He did have one defense against TJ Dillashaw. But... No, he won it off Dillashaw. No, Dillashaw fought him at 125. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, you're right, you're right. And then he won the title beating Marlon Rice. Okay, so he had one. Are they really willing or ready to possibly derail that Israel Adesanya hype train by feeding him to John Jones when I don't think he's ready for that? I think it's a win-win because if he goes up and loses, they're just going to have the built-in excuse of, well, he went up in weight. So he's going to keep his belt, and he's going to keep doing what he does at middleweight. And if he beats John Jones, you know, you've just beaten the best fighter of all time. So either way, they win. Arguably. It's no argument. There is, but we'll get to that another day. Yeah, my... <laughs> my opinion, and our producer Dan's opinion, it's still GSP. Both of your opinions are flat-out wrong. We'll argue that out at any point you guys want. But, yeah, John has the right to call a shot. He's basically cleared out almost everybody in the top ten in that division at heavyweight, except for the returning Rumble, which would be a fight everybody would love to see. But, again, that fight could possibly derail John for his heavyweight title shot. But I still think if John wants the Izzy fight, take it, especially since Izzy took some personal shots at him on Twitter. And even his family chimed in. I think Chandler Jones told him to watch it. And Chandler's a big boy. But I still think he should go up and take a fight at heavyweight to get himself used to the weight class to make sure he's put on the proper size to challenge Stipe or Francis for whoever wins that fight. And I still think the fight to make for John is the winner of Derek Lewis versus Curtis Blades. I don't know. I think John's really done enough to just go up and say, you know what, I want the winner of this. He's dominated this sport for, I guess, 10 years now, right? He came in the UFC about 2010, 2011, roughly. You dominate the sport. Your only loss came from a DQ. You got the right to go up and say, yeah, I want this guy, and I want him now. And I understand he's had his out-of-octagon issues, but you still haven't lost in that much time. You've beaten, every, you've beaten almost two generations of top fives, John Jones has. Between legends to the up-and-comers, he's beaten everybody. Handily. There's only been maybe three close fights in John Joe's career? Arguably. I could say there's three people you could argue beat him in Tiago Santos, Dominic Reyes, and the first Alexander Gustafson fight. Right. So three questionably close ones, and we could make the argument that Johnny Hendricks abused GSP. But we won't do that because we're not talking about that right now. So, back to it. John Jones does arguments or not. You know, a, a win is a win. He got the wins over them. He can go up and say, hey, especially because really, does the heavyweight division have a big name power right now? Doesn't really have huge drawing star power outside of maybe Stipe and Ngannou. Now, once guys like Brock and Cain Velasquez left and Junior Dos Santos was on the decline, they really haven't had any guys to really build behind. They tried to push Stipe, but people just don't seem to be getting on board with him, but Francis seems to be the guy that they're trying to build now that people are starting to follow and get behind. Yeah, because Stipe doesn't talk, and he doesn't knock people out like insanely in the first round by sprinting across and windmilling your arms like Ngannou just did. So Stipe's more of a technical fighter. I mean, he you can't argue. he's the, I think personally he's the greatest heavyweight to have ever done it, especially beating DC twice at this point in his career. Um, so I don't go, I don't really sure why people aren't on the hype train with Stipe, but you need a guy like John Jones to get up to that heavyweight division. So people start really paying attention to it again. Heavyweight, it's hard to call a goat because there are so many circumstances, so many different generations of fighters. Like I know some people still hold on to Fedor, but he was in a spot where steroids were run rampant. He was getting fed guys where he was like 30 fights deep to guys who were like their second fights in their career or former professional wrestlers and Alberto Del Rio that he knocked out in like 25 seconds. Yeah, and Fedor did just lose to Ryan Bader. So, you know, I think that's a... If we're not taking that into account, I don't know what we are because I can't see really anyone in the heavyweight division 
get it. Well, no, no, not necessarily. Anyone in the top four losing to a guy like Ryan Bader over in the UFC. This is true, but at this point, John needs to, well, he doesn't need to. He can call whatever he wants, but I know Uncle Dana said he wants Stipe and Francis first, and if John wants to wait, he can wait. Now, if while waiting in the meantime, he can take that fight at heavyweight, like I said, or he could take the fight with Izzy. Izzy's the bigger payday. I'd go after Izzy, and, and look, we know Costa was a much bigger fighter, and Izzy handled him quite easily, but John's a different beast. John's 205. He's used to it. I mean, Izzy's definitely got phenomenal footwork, speed, striking. I mean, he's a modern-day Anderson Silva for sure. But I know people say it all the time. You haven't fought someone like this. You haven't fought someone like John Jones. Not with the reach, the wrestling. John's the full package, and I don't think Izzy's fought a full package with that much reach and size yet. I think it was Rampage Jackson who said John's a guy you have to fight twice because the first time, whether you go the distance or he finishes you, it takes you a long time just to start getting comfortable and figuring out how to get to him. Yeah, yeah, and John, like we said, he struggled in, what, three fights in his career? I mean, he's had a pretty lengthy career at this point and only struggle in three of them? Well, he struggled with OSP. Now, I don't know if that was ring rust because that was a terrible fight. Now, he clearly won, but OSP was not a good performance by him. No, no, but, you know... In all fairness, I don't think there's any fighter's career you can go back and look at, say, they didn't have one, I guess you could say, you know, down fight per se, but he still won. So you're saying on his worst day, he was still able to pull out a win. Something like that, but... And he dominated it. I'm just not... I know Izzy has a lot of hype and he's doing very well. I'm just still not all the way on board yet. And I think John is too much too soon. So John Jones has 26 wins in his career. And we're saying he struggled potential win-wise in three of them. So, and, and had one bad performance against OSP. So that's pretty much puts you up there as, you know, the arguably, the, well, not arguably, but the greatest. So My problem is I can't put him up there because of all the steroids. He's got popped for steroids twice, and now he has to get special exemptions for every fight because the steroids are still in his system. Dude, tomato, tomato, he still beats people up. It is what it is, dude. You can say what you want. You can whine about it. GSP almost had a rule made after him because his trainers lather him up so bad in a GSP, in a BJ Penn fight, but we don't talk about that. Again, I understand his his off, I guess you could say, out-of-octagon issues. Well, he just admitted to the story about him hiding under the cage to avoid a drug test because he knew he'd failed because of all the coke he was doing. No, he said it was for weed. Okay, How but, many times have you been busted for coke? I mean, You could say it was weed, but we all know... It was the white lightning and the booger sugar. How many times have the Diaz brothers been busted for weed? It don't matter. Weed, it is what it is. He, got bu- he was potentially busted for a drug, and uh, he came back and still abused him. Well, Nick got suspended for the weed. I think they looked the other way on Rhonda, especially since she said she smoked with the Diaz brothers. But we all knew Rhonda was, you know, Dana's favorite little pet until Connor came around. Oh, that's because Rhonda fell, fell hard. Yeah, he was a little mad at Holly for not waiting for Ronda for the rematch because of how much money they could have made with that. You know, one of my favorite images to see is when Dana White's, like, the champion he wants to win loses, and you just see him in the background just pouting and miserable. It's one of the best things to possibly see, especially when you're on that guy's side voting for him. Oh, yeah, when Holly knocked him out and the pout on Dana's face was real, I was so happy. I should have bet that fight. I believe me and our producer Dan watched that fight from Xfinity over in Philly. Yeah, that, that knockout, I believe I was watching from our parents' couch, and that knockout was insane. All of Xfinity was silent, except for, like, me and three other people cheering. I had no problem with Ronda up until her ultimate fighter, and it just, like, her true personality showed, and it was just bad. Yeah, that definitely did not help, but we're getting off topic here. John Jones. Oh, so, best Izzy, fight of all time. Izzy, title fight, or take a heavyweight fight. So he knows he's put on the right size. Take the money and abuse the kid. <laughs> Take the money, beat up Izzy, and then go challenge the winner of Steve Bay and Francis? Oh, absolutely. Either way, you're getting paid. And you're getting to derail a kid who you've been verbally jabbing with for two years, and now he's got the right amount of hype to where that verbally jabbing for two years is worth it. All right, so we're going to get into our last topic. And that's the BMF title. I know it's a little gimmicky. I know you're not a fan of it. But 
what are they going to do with it? Are they going to bring it back? Because I know they were talking about rematching Masvidal and Diaz for the BMF. Maybe Nick versus Masvidal. Like, who qualifies as a BMF? Is it an open weight thing? Like, if they are going to make this a thing, what do they do with it? You get rid of it because it's our participation trophy. That's what it is. Okay, this, they made this title up knowing that Nate Diaz was never going to win an actual title. But you could slap his name on something and it would sell. And Jorge Masvidal just came off two ridiculous knockouts and you could slap his name on it and it would sell. So you're going to defend a, a pointless title? Just get rid of it and create another weight class if you want to push another title. I mean, it's a fun thing to do, especially since, you know, you can jump weight classes and other people can challenge, and it probably won't hurt you in your ranking since it's not for your actual fight. Yeah, but rec league soccer is fun too, and they just hand out participation trophies. The BMF title is a participation trophy. That's it. Yeah, but it gives guys, like you said, who wouldn't normally be able to challenge for an actual belt a chance to win something and make some money. Yeah, and you know what I say to that? Be a better fighter and go challenge for a belt. You know, people don't make up excuses for other athletes all the time and give them random participations, you know. It just doesn't make sense to me. All right, you, it was a one-time deal. You sold it. It did okay. Keep it at that. All right, so we're going to play a game here, hypothetical. Yeah. Let's say they keep it, and they do make a whole thing about it. Like, who qualifies to fight for the BMF or even be in that conversation? Because take a guy like GSP. Granted, he would destroy probably half the people in that category. But if you look at him and you see the way he presents himself, he's not really in that BMF category. But somebody like Mike Perry, who isn't half the fighter that GSP is, could arguably get himself into that bracket and fight for that title. So what makes the BMF, honestly? Uh, You know, being able to basically not speak any form of sentence like Nate Diaz does and just being the street Judas that that Jorge Masvidal is. It's just, you're, you're putting, you're giving guys a potential title, you're opening it up. What is it floating around? Is it floating around 55 to 85? Because that's going to open it up. But it's something that, it was cool for a one-time thing. I would leave it at that. But, I mean, to go with it, I would say someone like Anthony Pettis who has a highlight reel like no one else. Yeah, but you he can... doesn't really present himself as a BMF. Like, I would say, like, prime Diego Sanchez. That's a BMF. Diego Sanchez, no, absolutely. Keep him away from anything like that. But, like, you could put Connor in that conversation. Tony could be in that conversation. I would say guys who are clean cut, like Dan Hooker, I don't really see him in that conversation. But, like, even at, if you go to heavyweight, like, some of the heavyweights don't really present themselves in that conversation. But, like, somebody like Derek Lewis. He is definitely someone who you look at like, okay, he's a BMF, like Stipe, like I said, because he's clean cut. He's not a real talk. He's not a talker. He's not that guy. He doesn't come off to be in that category. So basically, you got to be a. Uh, how can I put it nicely? Like a, an uneducated, you know, just talking smack. I'm from the streets kind of guy to be challenging for this belt. Which brings me back to my point. You got to come off a little bit thuggish. The, the fact that we're talking about Mike Perry being involved in any sort of title situation, it's, it's not good. Well, I would say if you look at 85, someone like Darren Till could be in the conversation. Darren Till's a beast in the octagon, and then he talks, and he's all polite and everything else, though. I mean, he goes on his Twitter rants, but then you see him in an interview, and he's like, oh, gee, Willie, here's, you know, everything's all good and great here. Well, it depends so, on what fight. Like when he beat Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, how about that rant? Yeah, I'm not saying he doesn't go on his rants. He he does occasionally, but I, I don't know. I do, this the BMF is is such a wide variety. Like honestly, it seems like a veteran of the sport belt. I mean, at this point, you could probably put someone like Colby Covington in there too. Even yeah. though I know you're not, we're both not fans of Colby. No, but why would Colby Covington even think about that belt when he's potentially fighting for the real one? Well, because if he wins that, and then he goes and say he beats Kamaro, now he can say he's a double champion and try to get that bigger payday himself. All right, look, a double champion with the BMF belt, is, it can't even count. Okay, that doesn't even count. That, if I give you a small trophy and I take the big one, I mean, I understand we're both walking away with trophies, but, you know, what is yours other than a half-decent payday for a one-time thing? I'm just, you know, I'm just spitballing here. I'm saying it's gimmicky and, you know, it could be fun and lead to a lot of fun fights that might not happen otherwise. I feel like it was Dana White's attempt at something Vince McMahon would do. That's what it was. It was a very Vince McMahon move. Um, and you know what? 
Vince McMahon is obviously a very, very successful guy. He's had the WWF, the WWE since, I don't know how long is he, you would know better than me, Dan, how long has he owned that? Yeah, so mid to late 80s. So, I mean, if there's a business model to follow in, in combat type of sports scenario, Vince McMahon's got the way. Now, I'm not disagreeing with you. Fun fights definitely can come from this. But as a personal opinion, 1982. Well, damn. And, yeah. So, personal opinion, I hate the belt, but I understand what you're saying. You can definitely get some crazy fights where dudes will definitely get paid for it. Yeah, there's like I said, like you normally wouldn't see, especially with the rankings at this point, like if you brought up Pettis, like Pettis challenging Masvidal because of their rankings. That would be a fun fight because they're both strikers, and that would be an easy way to get them in there without having to worry about the rankings. Yeah, and the one thing I like about Masvidal is he doesn't really care about the rankings. He's one of them dudes where it's like, you know what, if it's going to be fun for me, I'm going to take it. So you you could actually potentially get a Pettisim in there. Uh, not that I think, I mean, as a big Pettis fan, I don't really like how that would probably work out for Pettis, but that's an easy way to get them in there. Not at this point in their career. Maybe a few years ago, I think Pettis would have had the advantage. I think Pettis is just too small, to be honest with you. Although, you know what? Size doesn't necessarily matter because Wonderboy had a good amount of reach on him and Wonderboy went to sleep. So that part is what it is. But if you're looking at the BMF title, I feel like if you're going to do it, it's got to be guys who are still kind of ranked because, I mean, even even the thought of throwing someone like Mike Perry in there because he runs his mouth a lot is, is pretty tough for me to handle. Yeah, but they also they have to make some stipulations or expand it because you can't have a heavyweight coming down to fight like Masvidal for it. Like you can't have Derek Lewis dropping, you know, being that open. See, instead of pushing that, I'd rather see him, like, like I said, I, I talked to you a little bit earlier, is every weight class from 25 to 55 goes in 10-pound intervals. 25, 35, 45, 55. Then it jumps up to 70. So why not just, you know, go 65, 75, 85 and add that 65 division, which gives a guy like Donald Cerrone a chance because now he is one of the bigger guys in that division. Yeah, it gives some guys who are a little small for uh, welterweight and too big for lightweight somewhere to go. So guys like... RDA, Cowboy, uh, probably a Kevin Lee, Michael Chiesa. It gives them places to go and a place where they can win a title or be relevant. Well, these guys are relevant, but potentially be champions. Especially because they're always talking about potentially getting rid of the 25 division. I mean, they've been talking about it since you had Demetrius Johnson in the UFC, who's the best 125-pounder of all time, and arguably you could say top five of all time, easily, maybe even top three. He's definitely top five. You know, so you put him in that conversation, and they were looking to dump that division. Now you jump up to 65, throw that in there, and then you're going to have potential. Even a guy like Condit, I mean, he could shed them last five pounds. He's potentially making another title run. Condit's a guy who might be able to challenge, with his resume, challenge Masvidal for the BMF. And you know Masvidal's not going to wrestle or try to submit him, so that might be a good spot for Condit too. Yeah, yeah. I think Condit actually striking-wise matches up with pretty much everyone in the 170 de- division. The problem is it's it almost seems like his wrestling and submission have just disappeared on him. He's never really progressed. Like you would think after his loss to GSP all those years ago would have pushed him to really improve in that area, but he never did. It almost seems like he got broken after the loss to Robbie Lawler, which I don't know how you even think of like how the judges gave that loss to, to Condit because – I mean, I think he outstruck him almost three to one or something like that. I know that, I don't know if it was that high, but the stats were crazy like that. I think because of it was Lawler's power shots and the percentage, like his percentage of le- strikes landed was so much higher. Granted, he threw a lot less, but it seemed he was the more accurate striker and his strikers were more effective. I might be able to pull it up, but either way, I think Condit's definitely, uh, I mean, you know, I'm also incredibly biased towards Condit. He was one of my favorite fighters for years, so if I think there's a way he can get a belt, even if it is your corny BMF belt, I'm all in on him. Even just after contradicting myself and ranting how it's a participation trophy, but I'd like to see him get the participation trophy. It's better than nothing. For sure. I mean, at least he did hold the interim belt, which I'm happy the UFC kind of slowed down with them for a little while, because... They were up there. Yeah, they can't do a BMF for the women because Amanda Nunes would take that and then she'd hold three belts and tell all of them, like, come and get me, and nobody would be able to touch her at this point except for maybe Valentina Shevchenko. 
I would actually like to see Amanda Nunes now that I'm like really looking at it. I, I would like to see her and Holly Holm go go a little bit longer than they did. I mean, she did land a beautiful head kick to put her to sleep, but I think given a second chance, I'd actually like to see Holly get another shot at her. A couple years ago, I would have said Juliana Pena had the style to potentially beat Amanda, but all the progression that Amanda's made in her wrestling and her grappling, I don't think anybody's beating her at this point. No, Amanda has taken her game to another level. I mean, what, her last loss was Kat Zingano, I believe, and that was years ago. And it was because of Kat's wrestling. That's why I thought Juliana Pena had the best shot, just because of her level of wrestling. Yeah, for sure, and she... uh she would push the pace, but Juliana Pena has got to get a couple more fights. Maybe when she shakes the ring rust, she shakes every all her injuries off, you know, coming back fresh off a of pregnancy. Now, not that I can talk and say I understand what that does to a woman's body, but I can only imagine it's not good on top of trying to train and being two years out. What, what she tore her ACL, I think. Tore ACL when she came back. Yeah, so for her, um, I, I'd like to see her get one more shot. She can definitely go in there and potentially – give Amanda a run if Amanda doesn't retire because after every win she talks about retirement yeah but I think her girlfriend or wife at this point just had their baby and now her wife's talking about coming back and she was ranked top five in her weight class before she left so I think with the wife coming back Amanda will be sticking around for a good while yeah the wife's in the 25 I believe 15 before she got pregnant and left I think she was the fourth or fifth ranked uh, straw weight contender Oh, I thought she was a little bit uh, a little bit heavier than that, but yeah. She was in a title elimination spot at some point, and she lost to Tatiana Suarez, but then Tatiana got hurt, which put Joanna back in the race for when she fought uh, Zhang Weili. Yeah, you want to talk about a freak. That I'm not even going to try and pronounce her name the way you did, but Weili is an absolute freak in this game. Her strike is ridiculous, and she's got power especially with knocking out Andrade. Yeah, that fight between her and Rose could be exciting. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, well, you know what? Actually, I don't know because Rose is uh, obviously she, she's uh, – her striking's good, but her chin's questionable. And her wrestling of uh, Lee could really neutralize all that jiu-jitsu that she has. Yeah, there's a lot going on and a lot that we could potentially be excited about seeing. But with that being said, that's going to be it for us today. Thanks for tuning in and have a good day.